All right, if you'll find your way back to Jeremiah, uh, we are in Jeremiah 22. And uh, as I mentioned on Sunday, uh, it had been exactly one year on October the 2nd when I had preached the final message that we did for uh, Jeremiah, and we had ended in Jeremiah 21. Now, I realize when we pick up a study of another book and there has time has passed, I would dare not ask the question tonight that how many of you remember where we had been and what we had done, uh, you're not going to remember all those things. And uh, so I'm going to just give you a very basic overview of uh, the book of Jeremiah just to put us back on the proper place of where we are. Of course, the author, uh, that goes without saying, uh, is uh, Jeremiah himself. Uh, his name, which is interesting, uh, Jeremiah's name means Jehovah appoints or establishes. Uh, he was a prophet of God. Uh, he, come, he came from a priestly family. Now, we won't get into all of those, that line. There are uh, studies you could do on Jeremiah and study all about his, his uh, lineage. Uh, his ministry uh, began in the 13th year of the reign of a man by the name of King Josiah, who was the king of Judah. Now, that's going to become important even tonight because we're going to hear uh, something about Jeremiah and Josiah and some of these kings. Uh, when we read the book of Jeremiah, here's one thing we need to keep in mind. Uh, the book of Jeremiah is not written in chronological order. In other words, as we read the Bible, read the book, uh, it is uh, not necessarily what happened in one chapter isn't immediately necessarily what happened next. It could have been what happened prior to that. So we're not given in some of those cases exactly when it is. But what, you would, what would help us is to just have a general outline of the history of, of what Jeremiah, when he was prophesying and preaching. And of course, there are a number of kings that will be mentioned and those names will come up. The theme of the book of Jeremiah, sometimes it's good for us to come up with a, uh, what would be an overriding theme of the entire book of Jeremiah. Uh, it is the theme is judgment uh, for breaking the covenant. All right, it, it, it's judgment by breaking God's covenant. But then we don't want to miss this. There's a breaking of the covenant, but there's also the promise of restoration by the faithfulness of God. So we have all of these themes and all of these things going on. One of the great things that Jeremiah is sent to do is to preach repentance from sin. Why does he preach repentance from sin? He's, re he's preaching repentance from sin because of judgment that is coming. That's the purpose, the impending judgment, and he will call people to trust in the Lord as their only hope of salvation. So when we think about the book of Jeremiah, we're dealing with a book about judgment, but a book about repentance, and also a book about the faithfulness of God. Now, if we were to study the life of Jeremiah, we will find that Jeremiah would not have been considered a successful minister by man's standards. Uh, we don't really see uh, people responding to Jeremiah's preaching. In other words, he seems to preach and preach and preach, and the, the response is the same, nothing. Uh, Jeremiah would not be considered a great church planter or a great church builder because uh, literally nobody seems to have cared. He seems to have a message that falls on deaf, deaf ears, yet God says, I want you to go and preach to these people 
even though you're going to have very little success. And we saw that all the way back in the first chapter of Jeremiah. So when we think about all of these things, uh, we covered a lot of ground to get to actually Jeremiah 21. And again, we can't go through all of those, and it's, it's been quite a while. If you uh, felt were so inclined, you could go back and you could certainly listen to all those messages. They're all available. You could find them um, on one of our pages. But as we get to Jeremiah 21, which is where we left off, and Jeremiah 22 and Jeremiah 23, this will give you an idea of what we're going to be dealing with. Jeremiah specifically is going to write about rulers and false prophets. So the themes are going to be about earthly kings and rulers and false prophets. We're going to see a recurring theme of Jeremiah being told to go and preach to certain people and to certain groups. Now as we look at Jeremiah 22 tonight, we're this, you can see that Jeremiah 22 uh, is... Uh, 30 verses, and we're not going to dare even try to cover all this tonight. Uh, Lord willing, we'll see how far we get. I want to be able to deal with verses 1 through 9 tonight as we get back into this study of the book of Jeremiah. Now, I mentioned this when we did this study the first time. This book sometimes lends itself to become and sound very academic, all right? So it, it, there's a lot of little teaching points in this uh, that uh, quite frankly, and I've told Jennifer this many, many times, this, this Jeremiah to me is one of the hardest books to preach through uh, for a lot of reasons. And uh, one of those reasons is there's a lot of little, little intricate things um, that this book can become, it can become very academic. In other words, I, I don't want to come across as just uh, something that just gained the knowledge of, because we need the Spirit of God to understand these, these deep truths. There's no question about that. But when we look at this, we're looking at a book that is sometimes uh, very deep. Uh, we're going to see things that uh, we, we, we sit back and we say, does this really have to do with us as Americans? Does this have to do with us as, or is this written to, to Jerusalem and written to Judah? So what I want you to understand is even when we read the Bible, we find things that are not necessarily written directly to us as the church per se. There are always these applications that we read about what Jeremiah was dealing with, and we realize that sounds like society today. It sounds like what we deal with today. So we're not dealing with something that is non-existent. So when we read this and we say, well, this will never happen in 2018. This is in Jeremiah. He was under the, 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 uh, of King Josiah uh, and everything that came with that. So what I want us to see tonight is I want us to see specifically as we look at this, uh, look, at, uh, look at verse number one. And Jeremiah has been, is given these instructions from the Lord. It says, thus saith the Lord, go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there this word. And say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, that sittest upon the throne of David, thou and thy servants and thy people that enter in by these gates. Thus saith the Lord, execute ye judgment and righteousness and deliver the spoiled out of the hand of the oppressor and do no wrong, do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, nor the widow, neither shed innocent blood in this place. For if ye do this thing, indeed, then shall there enter in by the gates of this house kings sitting upon the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, he and his servants and his people. 
But if ye will not hear these words, I swear by myself, saith the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. For thus saith the Lord unto the king's house of Judah, Thou art Gilead unto me, and the head of Lebanon. Yet surely I will make thee a wilderness and cities which are not inhabited. And I will prepare destroyers against thee, every one with his weapons, and they shall cut down thy choice cedars and cast them into the fire. And many nations shall pass by this city, and they shall every man to his neighbor. Wherefore hath the Lord done thus unto this great city? Then they shall answer, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worshiped other gods and served them. Now you see there in verse number nine, there specifically why God was going to execute wrath or judgment was because they forsook the covenant of the Lord their God. That was one of the themes I just gave you as an overview of this book. Now go back and, and look at this expression in verse one, and that's what we're gonna kind of take for the subject tonight is the instructions that are given to Jeremiah are simply this, go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there this word. You see that expression, go down. Jeremiah is being told to leave where he is and go to the house of the king of Judah. Now we'll get into a little bit about which king this was and at what time. But this prophet Jeremiah is given instructions from the Lord to go and preach the word of God to who we'll refer to as the royal family. Now, when I use the term royal family in our society today, we think about England, we think about uh, different countries. We don't necessarily think about the royal family in, in our nation. But when we think royal family, we're thinking somebody who is in a kingly position or is in a position of authority, right? It's the royal family. So Jeremiah is being told to go and preach the word to the king of Judah. Now to you and I, this may not seem overwhelming. This may seem, uh, what's the big deal? But think about being asked to go and preach to the king of Judah. It would be like a preacher today being sent to preach to the leadership of any nation. In other words, for an American preacher, it may be, I want you to go to the White House and I want you to preach to the White House. I want you to preach to everybody in there. I want you to preach to the leaders and the rulers. Or for if it's in England, I want you to go and I want you to preach to the queen or the king, the princes. It's going to those who have the ability and the authority over a nation or a people. As Jeremiah is instructed to go, we understand a couple of things here that Jeremiah is being told to do. He's being told to go to the royal family or the royal house and to preach to them that they need to live up to their responsibilities or they will face grave consequences. Leadership always comes with great responsibilities. Whether you're the leader of a small nation or a large nation, a small business or a large business, or a small church or a large church, leadership always comes with responsibility. And God is telling this king of Judah that they have a responsibility to administer just justice and to do it properly and to do it correctly. Now, when we think about the verses here, now in these first nine verses, and we probably won't get into this tonight other than an overview uh, picture, the first nine verses, we're not told exactly which king 
is being addressed here. Now, again, I've mentioned to you that uh, in, in the order of the, the chronology of the book, uh, sometimes that leaves us kind of wandering and guessing, and you have to dig a little deeper to find out. But here's the point of the, the last four kings, because it would have been the last four kings that Jeremiah would have been ministering to or preaching to. We'll talk about those four kings. All four of these kings had the same responsibility, the same responsibility to administer justice to the people in which they ruled over. Okay, anybody who's in a leadership of a nation, for example, whoever happens to be on that particular throne, whatever the hour, whatever the day, they have the same responsibilities to execute and carry out justice and making sure they're doing things properly. So, as I mentioned to you, chapters 21, 22, and 23 all deal with rulers and false prophets. All right. So upon this occasion, Jeremiah is sent in this chapter to go to the king. I know you don't remember this, but in Jeremiah 21, King Zedekiah sent somebody to Jeremiah. Though This is reversed. Jeremiah is now being sent to those in which he's going to preach to. So we have here in Jeremiah 22 and into 23, a number of sermons that Jeremiah preaches all right, and he's preaching to the rulers or the kings. Now, some people, when they read 22, they say, boy, God sure didn't give them much time. Remember, Jeremiah in the first 21 chapters has been preaching and God has been saying the same thing over and over and over again. This is not some new commandment God is giving. They've had fair warning. They've been told for a number of times that if, if you don't do these things, like we saw in verse number 9 and verse number 8, that the Lord will take away. They'll be cut down. But it won't be because God was not long-suffering and because God was not patient. So we see this message being sent to the royal family. Uh, some believe that at this time, this is a message that would have been sent during the rule of Jehoiakim. Now, Jehoiakim was uh, partly and, and was related to Jehoahaz. And again, one of the hardest things to do is try to keep, keep track of all the kings. All right? It's even, harder, it's even hard for us preachers to figure this all out. So I can't even pronounce half of them. And it's hard enough to keep track which one was which. Okay? So uh, Jehoahaz is also mentioned as Shalom, which you'll see that name. But you'll see Jehoiakim being reproved and threatened. We'll see that later in this particular chapter. But there's also uh, another king that's mentioned by the name of Jehoiakim. Uh, he go also goes by the name Jeconai. So you have all of these kings and all of these are being charged or being told or instructed to rule properly. To rule properly with authority, but rule according to God's plan. Now, what does it say about uh, royal families and rulers and leaders? What, what's the overriding theme? If, if, if Jeremiah is being sent to preach that if they don't do these things, they'll be cut down. Well, here's the principle I want you to get for tonight is that sin will be the ruin of even the most royal of families if there is no repentance. Okay, Sin will be the ruin of even the most royal of families if there is no repentance. Jeremiah's message was consistent. To each one of the kings, all of the kings under the ministry that he would be a part of, the Lord was sending the message, speak repentance to them. 
Preach repentance. Preach that they need to turn from their ways and they also need to administer their office properly. So we see in verses 1 and 2 that specifically the orders that are given to Jeremiah are very simple and they're direct. To go and preach to the king. To go and preach to the king. He's given orders. The orders are clear. They're distinct. Go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there this word. Where did Jeremiah get his sermon? He got his sermon from the Lord. Where do we today... As preachers, where do we get our sermons? We ought to get them from the Lord. We, get, we have a book of sermons here. This, this Bible is a book of sermons. God's already given the message. God never, has never given us the right to create a new message. He's just simply said, here's the message. Preach the message which I've given to you. Notice he says, go and speak there this word. He's very precise. And he gives him, here's what I want you to say. And say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah. Specific orders, instructions, go to the king of Judah, and I want you to say this exactly. Here's the message. Here's the sermon. The prophet Jeremiah is told to go in his own person. He's told to go to the house of the king. That phrase say, hear the word of the Lord. This is not just a a cliched statement. That phrase, hear the word of the Lord, is a call of the authority of God. In other words, when we declare and we even read scripture and we say to a congregation of one another, we say, listen, let's hear the word of the Lord. You know what that does? That should demand our attention. In other words, sometimes we, we find out, oh, we're just in a scripture reading. Uh, that's not, I'm just waiting until we get to the message. The reading of the word of God demands our attention. So if we read the word of God corporately, and even if we came to church and we did nothing but read, the, read an entire chapter of the Bible, that demands our attention. So that's the reason that Jeremiah is told, go into the palace and say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah. Notice he even gives, here's your audience. Go and tell and demand the attention of the king of Judah that God is speaking. That's pretty powerful what's happening here. Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah. He's not, say, he's not told to hear my word. He's told to hear the word of God. We have to understand that wherever the word of the Lord is, It is more powerful than the word of the king of any nation. Okay, now that's a very basic principle tonight. If if the word of the Lord is more powerful than any word of any king of any nation, there has never been a king who has lived or will live who has more authority than God's word. Man could write the greatest documents and again, our country has a great history of many, they're, they're iconic documents, don't they? But none of them have the authority of what God's word does. They're just, they're man-made documents. But the word of God demands the authority and every man is subject to it, whether he's a believer or not. One of the grand mistakes that people make is they believe if they're not religious I don't have to submit to the authority of the word of God and nothing can be further from the truth. 
Even the lost man is demanded, his attention is demanded to hear the word of God. Now that's not saying he will, but he's demanded by the authority of God's word. So the king of Judah here, notice where it says that he is seated. O king of Judah, that sittest upon the throne of David. Now this is, this is significant. This king is sitting on the throne of David. Out of the Davidic line of kings. Right? So all of us think about David. We all know David's as his royal kingship. This man is sitting in a position that comes directly in the line of the Davidic king. We know that David is a king. David's a type of Christ, which points back to the ultimate king of kings and the Lord of lords, which is Christ himself. This is a very prominent position. He's seated upon a throne. Now, the, the throne is not so much about the actual physical place that he is seated on, but the place in which he is elevated to. He is in a place of authority. He is in a place of importance. This is not just any other kingship. He is sitting on the throne of David. So on the throne of David, we're talking about something that is a very important place. However, we also understand that anybody who has been placed in authority has a great responsibility. However small that throne may be, it still is over the, under the authority of God. The king of Judah here, spoken upon the throne of David, David, we know, was referred to as a man after God's own heart. We know that the covenants made, the covenants that were made with David were to be carried out through the kings. That's why there's a mention to the breaking of the covenant. These covenants were made through David. They were carried out through him. There's a benefit of being a part of that covenant. With the king... Jeremiah is speaking to servants of God. And by the way, any good government depends upon a good ministry. And you say, what do you mean by that? Every government is held accountable for its authority. The most wicked of governments, you could name it, whatever the most wicked government you could think of, is still under the authority of God. And all governments are to be ministers of good. Don't miss that. Okay? Every government is to be a minister of good. Now, we can sit back and say, well, I can name, every, I can name all these nations that are not ministers of good. Exactly. But they're all under the authority of God. Now, why does Jeremiah have to go and tell the king of Judah, who is seated upon the throne of David, to do good? Well, we see in the text, because at the moment, there are things that have gone on in the line of kings that are not good. But remember that every good government requires a good ministry. So we see the orders that are given to Jeremiah. Number two, we see the instructions to Jeremiah as to what to preach. I've already talked about this a little bit. But he says, Thus saith the Lord, execute ye judgment and righteousness. Now, this is Jeremiah telling the king. This is what you're going to tell the king. The Lord says, execute ye judgment, judgment and righteousness. In other words, we, could, we can... Uh, translate this way is very it's simply being told administer justice and righteousness 
You realize every government is to administer justice and righteousness. You know, the ultimate purpose of a government is to make sure of the protection of its citizens and its rights. Okay, that's the purpose of it. But it's also, don't miss this, it's not just about rights and justice. What's that say? Righteousness. Administer justice or judgment and righteousness. Judgment literally is the word for justice. Deliver the spoiled out of the hand of the oppressor. What is the spoiled? The spoiled is not somebody who gets everything they want. The spoiled is one who has been plundered or one who has been robbed. In other words, administer justice to the person who has been robbed. I mean, let's look at our, even think of our own government. If, if, you are, if you experience a crime and something is taken from you, your expectation is what? That the government will come in and will make that right, that whatever was taken or that person, that justice will be served on the person who robbed you or in this case plundered you. So here he's being told, Jeremiah says, go and tell the king of Judah, execute judgment and righteousness, deliver the spoiled out of the hand of the oppressor. And look at this, and do no wrong, do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, nor the widow, neither shed innocent blood in this place. Jeremiah is to tell them what their responsibility is as a government and as a king to do what is good. What does God require of every king? That they do good. You say, well, preacher, there's a bunch of them failing. God, it does not go unnoticed. In any government, in any situation, it does not go unnoticed. What's happening here is every man who is put in a place of authority, or a woman for that matter, whatever the case is, that person is responsible to administer justice, and they will all be held accountable for how they administered it. Every government is to not just be about justice. Every government's been established by God. It is to be about justice and righteousness. Righteousness, which is based upon following the word of God. It's an amazing thing. Most of our laws are based upon the word of God. Yet today, there is the idea, let's get the Bible out of everything, but it's the very basis of most of our laws. So that's why God holds these leaders accountable. He says, Jeremiah, go and tell the king of Judah what his responsibility is. They are to do all the good they can, now don't miss this, with the power they have. You realize that there are limits as to the power that some nations have and some rulers have. Some nations are blessed beyond belief who are able to administer justice almost instantly. They're able to do things and they have resources. They are to, but every kingdom and every nation is to be ruled and to do the good that it can with the power that it has. But it's about doing good. They must do justice in defense. Who are the people that are primarily mentioned in verse number three? People who've been plundered, people who have uh, strangers, fatherless, the widow, shed innocent blood in this place. Who are most, what's the common word for these people? The helpless. It's the helpless. That government, king of Judah, 
this government that is the throne of David is to administer justice and to help and take care of those who cannot help themselves. You see, even in Jeremiah's day, there were people who could not help themselves. They had no means of helping themselves. There were widows. There were the fatherless. There were orphans in Jeremiah's day. Neither shed innocent blood. This country has shed more innocent blood than just about any nation through abortion. That's innocent blood. Now, we're not the only nation that's done it, but I'm telling you, that's innocent blood. Now, we understand that, not from the, the sin nature, but you know what I'm saying. This is helpless. So you have very similar principles as to what we see happening, not even in just Jeremiah's day, but in our world. Should preachers preach the same things today? Absolutely, preachers should preach the same things. If, if a government is supposed to help and be for the righteous and the justice of God, then we should have a government everywhere we are that is responsible to carry out justice and righteousness. That was the duty of their responsibility. Help deliver those who cannot help themselves out of the hand of their oppressors. So what's the requirement for every single ruler? Is that they are to be ministers of God for good. They're all held to that same standard. Romans 13 gives us indications about that, that God gives every man power. There is no person in office anywhere in this world that was not put, put there by the hand of God. But every one of them will give an account to God regarding how the day administered justice and righteousness. And again, we ask ourselves the question, why didn't God just make everybody good? Well, we've, we've been down that road many, many times. So what is their overriding point here? That they do not use their authority to do harm with. They don't use their authority to do wrong. And they don't use their authority, especially to ignore the helpless. Folks, the greatest wrong that is done in any nation is wrong that is done under the guise of this is the law and this is justice. And what we mean by that is is that we've got to be careful as to what we say the law does that justifies violence. For example, I mean, let's go back to that example. Abortion in this country is not illegal by the law standards. Is it right? No. But, but what does a person who, who gets an abortion say? They say, the law says I can that doesn't make it right. So a government could listen to a case and could say, well, the law says this. That doesn't make it right according to God's standards. Now, again, this message is not about abortion. It's an example, right? That that's what that government... So the worst harm that a government can do is when it does that under the guise of that this is the law. Why? Because we're supposed to be ministers of God for good. They're told to protect from wrong. Protect from violence. Don't do wrong to the stranger. Don't do wrong to the fatherless. Don't do wrong to the widow. Protect them. Take care of them. Back in the book of Exodus, there's a reference to 
this. And again, we think about a, a, a nation and we think about its laws. And Exodus 22 says in verse 21, Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Now again, remember I told you, there are things uh, that are directly mentioning uh, Israelites. Uh, we were never strangers in the land of actual Egypt, right? But the principle is here. Ye shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. Now think about that. Do not cause harm to any widow or any orphan. If thou afflict them in any wise and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath shall wax hot and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. Again, God is serious about this. So this message that Jeremiah is preaching is not a light message. He's being told to go down there and remind the king of Judah that if he does not do these things, I will cut him down. Man. I wonder if any preacher in this country has ever had to preach a message that hard. So Jeremiah's got to tell them what their duty was. Number two, he must tell them that by faithfully obeying their duties, they would secure their prosperity. Look what he says. For if ye do this thing indeed, verse 4, there's, a, there's the choice. If you do this thing, if you deliver the spoiled, you do no wrong, you do no violence, you don't shed innocent blood, if you do this thing, indeed, then shall there enter in by the gates of this house king, sitting upon the thrones of David, riding chariots and on horses, he and his servants and his people. There's a promise that there will be great prosperity for this. What that means is, is that there will be a succession of kings, an uninterrupted succession of kings upon the throne of David. In other words, there were going to be more than one king. And if you'll do these things, these kings, it'll be a an uninterrupted succession of kings who are administering justice and righteousness. If I was to ask you today, whatever country you live in, would you love to have an, a ruling government that all of it from the very, all you ever knew was a government that was about righteousness and judgment? Who wouldn't want that? But that's the point here. He's saying, if you'll do these things, here's the promise of enjoying upon the throne of David perfect tranquility, living in a state of honor. The riding in on chariots and on horses is a reference back to the way it used to be. You see, Israel had been guilty of turning away from God. That's why this is about repentance. Back in Jeremiah 17, 25, here's what it says. Then shall there enter into the gates of the city kings and princes, sitting upon the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall remain forever. There is this promise that if there is obedience in this area of the ruler of the, that kingdom, that there would be prosperity. The most, the, the most effectual way to preserve the integrity of the government is to obey and perform the responsibilities of it. In other words, a government that has integrity, a government that does 
will have God's blessing is a government that does it according to God's word. You know, our problems, as, as much as any as they are, nations' problems come back to that exact principle that I just said. If our nations were ruled by rulers and kings who honored the authority of God's word and followed it, many of the problems that we experience, no matter what country you live in, would not nearly be what they are today. The problem is not about party. The problem is about the obedience to God. That's what it's always been about. That's what, that's what Jeremiah is preaching. He's preaching do right by God. Do it God's way. Now notice it goes back and forth. The third part here. So not only must he tell them what their responsibilities are, number two, he must assure them that prosperity would come because of their obedience. But number three, he must also assure them that the sin in their family, if it continued, would be the ruin of their family, even though it was a, king, a king's family or a royal family. In other words, being the king will not insulate you from the consequences of that sin remaining. You know, sometimes kings feel untouchable. They feel as if I cannot be taken down. God's word is very, much, very clear with this, that if you continue in that, you can rest assured whether you're a royal family or not, I will take your kingship from you. Israel, Judah, Jerusalem had bad kings. Matter of fact, if you study it out, most of them were bad kings. There are very few. Yet Jeremiah is to go and preach these things that if they will not do away with this sin, look what he says. But if ye will not hear these words, I swear by myself. And that's not Jeremiah saying, I swear by myself. He's saying, by the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. That word, I swear by myself, or that phrase rather, is an, a divine oath or a vow that intensifies or signifies the certainty of coming judgment. In other words, if you don't heed these words, destruction is certain. Okay, now that's, that's the preaching of the word. Your house will become a desolation. This palace of kings will fare no better than any other kingdom that has, has been raised up and brought down. Folks, this is so appropriate for today. You go and you study royal palaces and royal families, kings and rulers and princes, and you look and find out what ultimately brought that kingdom down was sin. At the heart of it, it wasn't an overthrow or rebellion, as we think about Well, they just got overthrown. It was sin in the palace. It was sin in the leadership. You can mark it down that wherever there is sin that is left unrepented of, even in the most royal of families, sin will bring that place down and it will face the judgment of God. If God says, I swear by myself, you understand there's no greater oath than that. If God says, I swear by myself, in other words, my words, I'm saying this. If God says it, that's a certainty. 
if I tell you, just as a person, this is going to happen, it's a 50-50. If God says it's going to happen, it's a certainty. In other words, he tells them, Jeremiah, go tell them, if they don't do this, you can mark it down. I will make their house a desolation. That's what he's saying here. Verse 6, For thus saith the Lord unto the king's house of Judah, Thou art Gilead unto me, and the head of Lebanon, yet surely I will make thee a wilderness and cities which are not inhabited. This is, this is strange and sad at the same time. Because now Jeremiah must also show how fatal their sin would be to their kingdom as well to themselves. It is, throughout the Bible, you find God speaking of how much Judah and Jerusalem, how valuable they were in the eyes of God. Thou art Gilead and the head of Lebanon. This is a, these are pleasant thoughts. These are things that you've been given the richness and the pleasantness of Gilead. We've heard that phrase, Gilead. That is a, it's a reference to uh, uh, the, the pleasant things of God. But he says, even though you are the, are, are, are the uh, part of what has been valuable to me, if you don't heed these words, I will make you a wilderness. I will cut you down. In other words, folks, we can look at this and we can say, boy, I'm glad God will take care of these wicked kingdoms. But here's what I don't want you to miss. God will also not allow people who claim to be his own violate this either. In other words, being a believer in a position of office doesn't exclude you from any of these responsibilities. So let me tell you something. If a born-again believer, if a believer rather, gets into a high level of position... That man still, or that woman still responsible to carry out and make sure that these things take place. And if they don't do it, they'll be held to the same standard. And we've heard it, right? How many times have you heard somebody say this? If we could just get a true believer as the president, our country would change. See, that's the problem. We start talking about all these things. God holds every person accountable and responsible for what they're going to do. And God's going to say, listen, if you don't do these things, I'll cut you down just like I'd cut an unbeliever down because this is how serious I am. So basically he's telling them your, your value as one of my children, as one of my chosen is not going to protect you from judgment. You see, God's judgments can ruin a nation. But God's judgment comes because man refuses to turn from his sin. You know, if man doesn't sin, there's no need for judgment. But we sin and there's judgment that's coming. Verse 7, Jeremiah is also to declare unto them what this work will look like or what it will be. He refers to it as a desolation. Look what he says in verse 7. And I will prepare destroyers against thee, every one with his weapons, and they shall cut down thy choice cedars and cast them into the fire. Desolation is to lay something to complete destruction. The invaders here are described. Let's look, look at the phrase and look at the, the words he's using. They shall cut down thy choice cedar and cast them into the fire. These invaders that would come and carry out God's judgment are described as people who cut wood. They'll cut down your choice cedars. They will cut you down. They'll cut down this kingdom. And I think one of the most startling things that he says, and I 
will prepare destroyers against thee. See, we're all tonight about, I love the goodness things of God. I love the blessedness of God. I love what it is to be saved by grace. I love what it is to have the blessings of God. But we ought to understand that this holy God, when there is disobedience and a refusal to heed his words, he says, I will prepare the destroyers. You realize the destroyers of a nation didn't sneak in under God's nose and he didn't recognize them. He sent them. Why did the Roman Empire fall? It fell because God passed judgment on it. That's why it fell. Why has any nation fallen? It's fallen because God prepared destroyers upon them. Specifically, God says, I will prepare. When destruction is designed by God, destroyers are prepared. Things are working out God's providential design destruction. Now, let me ask you the question tonight. If God prepared a destroyer, who of us could contend against it? Who of us could stop it? We couldn't stop it. Now, it's a wonderful thing to know you're saved tonight on God's side. It's a wonderful thing to say, I'm glad I'm not God's enemy. But you understand tonight when we're talking about this, God is talking to a king who was seated upon the throne of David. And he sends a preacher to him to warn him. They'll destroy cities as easily as a man cuts down a tree in a forest. They'll cut down the choice cedars, and when they're down, they will be valued no more than to be cast into the fire. The choicest cedars have now become good for nothing. That's what he's saying. Your, your nation will become, your kingdom will become worth nothing. But Jeremiah also, in the last two verses we'll look at tonight, verses 8 and 9, Jeremiah must also pronounce that there will be people who will be ready to justify God and what he has done. Look at the question here. Many nations shall pass by this city, and they shall say every man to his neighbor. Now, get just picture this. Here's just a very direct illustration. We're walking along. And what used to be a city on our left, we're walking along is now, it's in shambles. Maybe there's some smoke coming up from something, but it's flattened. And it says, every man from every nation will come and will walk by and will say to his neighbor, here's what he'll ask. Wherefore hath the Lord done this unto this great city? It'd be like you and I walking by it and saying, what made God do that? That's what he's saying. And notice it says they'll even know who was behind it. What made God do that? Persons of many nations, they walk by the city in ruins and their travels. They'll ask, how could a city that was once so strong, how did it get overpowered? How could a place that was so rich become poor? How could a place that was so, had so many people, now there's nothing? Where are they? How could such a holy city, if it was Jerusalem, how could a holy city be so profaned? A city that had been so dear to God apparently appears to have been abandoned by him. 
That's what people are going to do. They're going to walk by and they're going to see it and they're going to say, what made God do that? And Jeremiah gives the answer. When the person asked the neighbor, the neighbor would respond this way, then they shall answer because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worship other gods and serve them. This is the most startling thing in these nine verses, I think, that is said, because I want you to notice two things. Number one, it says they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God. And secondly, and worship other gods and serve them. These who were God's people, who knew God's requirements, who knew God's, uh, what God expected, who they claimed was their God, were the ones who forsook the very covenant that was made with them and worshiped other gods and served them. Here, Jeremiah is preaching to what we refer to today as people who claim to be followers of this God. What's startling about this is we can think about the wicked nations tonight. We can say, I know a wicked nation that needs to hear this kind of preaching. But think about this. Jeremiah is preaching to the throne of David this. And when the city is destroyed, it's destroyed that was once ruled by people who claim to be of God's people. It's interesting to me that we in our nation, it's never about what we aren't doing. It's always about what they aren't doing. All the problems in our nation are because of what they're doing. It's not, not about us. Well, what is it about that we're not doing? Maybe we as the believers are the one that have forsaken the covenant of God. And maybe we as the, or the people are the ones who are worshiping other gods and serving them instead of serving the one true God. But it's convenient for us to blame it on the wicked government who's in authority over us. Okay? So now we come back to the reality of, wait a minute, wait a minute. While we're blaming everybody else for how wicked they are, which we already know God sees them, why are we forsaking the covenant that God has with us and maybe we're guilty of worshiping other gods and serving them instead? It's always convenient to blame somebody else's sin on the problems instead of looking inwardly and saying, wait a minute, maybe the problem in my country, maybe the problem in my church, maybe the problem where I am, maybe the problem is actually me. Not the wicked kings. Now again, Jeremiah's preaching to kings, and yes, a lot of those kings were wrong, but the reason is so obvious. People, everybody walked by would know why this, why this happened. Every person you ask will be able to tell you it's because they changed their God. It's because they forsook the covenant of God with their own God. They revolted from their allegiance to Him and from the responsibility of their covenant with Him, and they worshiped other gods and served them instead of serving God. So what did God's response? He gave them up to destruction. You know, it's interesting. We got people running all over the country saying, listen, if we could just get these wicked leaders out of office, we could turn this nation upside down. I think we're missing the point. God, the Bible says that judgment begins with God's people. And while we're worried about God pouring out judgment on everybody else who's wicked and maybe they're unbelievers, remember that judgment always begins with the house of God. It's going to begin with us. Now, we may not be kings. We may not be rulers. 
But I want you to understand something. Every one of us has got some kind of authority. We all have a structure. We all have something that we are in authority over. And maybe not on the scale of these leaders. But you think about this. What are we supposed to be? We're ministers of good. We're ministers of God for good. Whether it's being a father, whether it's being a boss, whether it's being a pastor, whatever it is, we're to be ministers of God for good. Protecting those who are helpless. Folks, get this. If the government won't do it, then why don't we do it? You see? That's, that's, yeah, that's, the, that's part of this. And I'll, I'll hurry. God never casts anyone off until they cast him off first. If this nation or any other nation falls, it will not be because God first cast them off. It'll be because they cast God off first. If one day we wake up, maybe we don't wake up, and this nation itself has fallen... It will not be because God said, I'm casting you off. It will be because we had long cast him off first. That's why it'll happen. God tells Jeremiah, go preach to the royal family. The king of Judah is spoken to as seated upon this throne, the man after God's own heart. We should follow the same example of what Jeremiah is saying. The way to preserve this government is to simply do what the government requires it to do. God doesn't destroy people, persons, cities, and nations apart from sin. Folks, understand something. Even in this world, he often makes it very clear what he will send punishment for. Like you and I, if you read your Bible, you could come to a conclusion. I know exactly what's going to bring the wrath of God, and I know exactly what's going to bring God's punishment. He doesn't make it a secret. I mean, God's not giving us this book and, and, and not giving us the answers. They're in there. It'll tell you exactly, look, if you forsake me, if you rebel, here's what's going to happen. And then when judgment comes, we say, why did that happen? God says, my word told you about this. And again, please don't take this to understand that I've got this mastered. Because I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking right now, wow, how much do I know right now as a believer that God in his perfect righteousness would have the right to cut me down for? I mean, seriously. Being a minister of God for good. When the day of judgment comes, there will not be, there, there will be no, it will be clear as to why judgment came. In other words, no believer is going to say, now why did God do that? We'll know it. We'll be able to say, here's why God did that. Just like that one who said to his neighbor, why would God take such a prosperous nation and bring it down? Why would God take a beloved people of his own and bring them down? For the very simple reason that they forsook the God of the covenant, worshiped their own gods, and served them. That sequence right there will bring down a nation. Right there. That's it. Right there. Forsake the God of the covenant, 
worship other gods and serve them. You can, almost, you can mark it down. That nation, that people, that person, that group will eventually be brought down. He say, preacher, what an encouraging message on Wednesday night. We understand something that the sins and the failures of what Judah's kings did were a great contrast or the opposite of what David's rule was meant to be. What's the key? Rulers must always rule in the fear of God. Rulers always rule in the fear of God. But here's the wonderful thing. I want to leave you with this. And understand this tonight, that even in the failure of David's offspring, David's kings, the line of kings, did not lead to perfect kingdoms. But yet at the end of all of this, God's everlasting covenant that was sent through Christ, who still fulfilled every qualification. Folks, the point tonight is very simply this. Never, ever, ever, ever place your hope in human leadership. Place your hope in Christ. And we've got responsibilities, but don't put your hope in human leaders. God's already given them an accountability. Put your hope in Christ. Perfect? No. But remember, the line of David, the throne of David, was to point to the eventual king of kings and the Lord of lords. It wasn't just a random kingdom. It was leading to the perfect ruler, the perfect king, Christ himself. Go down and speak there this word. Let's stand.